0: Welcome to this podcast for the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. My name is Dr. Kelly Tappenden. I'm editor in chief for JPEN and professor and head of kinesiology and nutrition at the University of Illinois at Chicago. For this February 2021 podcast, we're going to be discussing a paper entitled Quantifying Response to Nutrition Therapy During Critical Illness Implications for Clinical Practice and Research a narrative review. Now, my guest today is Dr. Kate Fetterplace, who is a senior dietitian of Royal Melbourne Hospital in Australia. Welcome,
1: Dr. Fetterplace. Thanks very much
0: for having me. Now, I want to start off by congratulating you because I understand that you recently obtained your PhD for which this paper was part of your thesis. Uh, So that's that's quite a nice accomplishment.
1: Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, it was a great relief uh, finishing my PhD. And (laughs) uh, it's it's good to be able to move on to, to new things. Yeah,
0: I recall that feeling. Now, what you wanted to do, of course, is impact or address this controversial issue of nutrition care in, in critically ill patients, right? And the premise of this paper, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but was looking at the wide variety of outcomes that are assessed in the literature and providing some insight into what outcomes may be more or less important for us to assess and hopefully moving forward have some consensus on the type of data that are collected is that correct
1: yeah thanks uh yeah we really wanted to describe what outcomes could be used and have been used to quantify nutrition therapy in the icu and it is still a really controversial topic and we really wanted to explore the strengths and limitations of all of those outcome measures that have been used, and to see whether any outcomes were actually you know, better to use and that we should be focusing on for future trials to actually quantify the impact of nutrition in this critically ill population. All right, so this is of such interest,
0: I think, to me and others because it speaks directly to the clinical guidelines, of course, that are so relied upon and studied in critical care. Tell us what you found with regard to the types of outcomes that are currently in the literature. And then let's move on and talk about those that you think are more or less important for clinical nutrition.
1: Yeah, okay. So there is a wide variety of outcomes that have been used. And obviously, you know, mortality is, is one of the ones that comes to mind straight away. And this is a gold standard measure for all uh, treatments within the ICU, which is relevant to nutrition. However, it may not be specific enough, or we might need really large trials to actually show a big impact. And we can't really use mortality as a day-to-day measure when we're trying to assess whether our therapy is actually beneficial to patients. So we tried to explore a lot of outcomes that were related to improved quality of life as, as we feel that this is something that is really important to patients. And so there's many things that have been used in the literature that may be either quality of life or surrogates of, of quality of life. And that includes things like physical function tests, muscle strength, muscle mass, And then you go down to things such as nutritional status, anthropometry measures, as well as biochemical measures. And so with all of these measures, some are more important to patients and some are less important to patients. Um, And so we really need to consider also whether there's actually a mechanistic uh, relationship between nutrition provision and these outcomes. So in the paper we have described with all of those outcomes, what are some of the strengths and limitations of the outcomes. And one of the surprising things that I thought was very interesting from our review was that there is such a broad range of tools that have been used to measure all of these outcomes and over, you know, 16 different tools to, to measure physical function and muscle strength, for example. So at the moment, the literature is so varied in what we're actually using to try and measure any of these outcomes that may be mechanistically associated with nutrition therapy, but also important to patients.
0: So if we dig a bit deeper into that, give us some insight into lean tissue loss and the various measures that you found were used to measure that.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think muscle mass and, and the measurement of lean tissue is, is something that has become of great interest of, of recent years within the nutrition literature. And it, it's an emerging outcome measure that has shown some promise. Within the ICU population, a variety of tools have been used, including CT analysis, uh, bioimpedance analysis, whether that's BIA or BIS and then ultrasound as well is is another technique that has been used i suppose there's within those types of measurements there is limitations to some of them. Obviously with CT analysis there's exposure to radiation which is uh, problematic as well as you know you're not going to be doing a CT scan just to measure body composition within the ICU. It's only on patients that have already had a CT scan. So if you were to use that in a trial it would be very difficult to um, do it in a wide range of patients uh, across the ICU. So therefore, things that are more, um, less invasive, such as bioimpedance analysis or ultrasound has become of greater interest. I think there's still some challenges with these outcome measures. BIS, for example, is affected by fluid balance. And so there's a lot more work still needed to ensure that this is actually an appropriate and validated measure within the ICU. And ultrasound, even within the literature, there's, there's several different protocols that have been used to measure muscle mass with ultrasound. And you obviously can't get a full picture of all the muscles in the body with ultrasound. So there's various protocols that may incorporate four, six or nine measurements of muscle that have been validated against things such as CT analysis, particularly in healthy individuals. But there is some promise in the ICU literature around um, these measurements, and even being able to use this in clinical practice to monitor change in muscle mass may be possible in the future. At this stage, it's probably we still need more research into the technique and and really validating the appropriate protocols that we should be using. So when it comes
0: for um, the practice of many dietitians, incorporating muscle loss is something that is relatively new and actually conducting a nutrition focused physical exam is something that there has recently been added to the repertoire of, of many practicing dietitians. Is there value in that when you're talking about so many more imaging types of techniques? Is there much use in a nutrition focused physical exam or should we be bypassing that and going to to more imaging BIA that kind of thing at this point?
1: Yeah I think from the literature if you look uh, within the paper we have tried to show where nutrition has impacted on the measurement of muscle mass and we've seen in I think there was uh, six studies that incorporated muscle mass measures And in four of those, there was a positive impact on minimising muscle loss. So I feel that there, there is still a lot of work to be done to actually establish the best protocol and really validate the technique before it's used in clinical practice. So I don't think it's quite ready yet because we don't really fully understand what the best protocol is. So without those specific measures... I think it is still relevant for dieticians to monitor their patients and monitor the physical changes that are occurring and considering whether they need to escalate the nutrition therapy. It's not perfect, but if we don't do anything, then we may not be seeing the issues that are arising with the nutrition provision. So I think if we don't have access to Objective measures at this stage, it is still relevant to be looking at changes in muscle mass physically and trying to consider have you got the appropriate nutrition therapy. But it isn't very specific. So it it still makes it difficult to know whether you change the nutrition therapy based on that.
0: Yeah, and I'm imagining that the time it would take to see those changes is going to be a limit in the appropriate responsiveness. Whereby you would change, for example, the protein delivery. Like it would be much quicker for one to look at a 24 hour nutrients or nitrogen balance than it would to be waiting for some muscle atrophy to occur, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. I suppose we're still, there is still so much that we don't know about, you know, how much changing the protein amount can actually affect this. And, you know, whether we need to change our nutrition therapy based on, on muscle loss, because we know that patients will lose muscle in critical illness and, and how much can nutrition uh, modify that is still yet to be determined some small studies including the one that I did we did find that higher protein delivery uh, attenuated muscle loss and and within this paper we have detailed also Dr Susie Ferry also did a study looking at higher protein delivery and showed that there was attenuation in muscle loss as well so there is some pilot data that's telling us that that maybe, adjusting the protein delivery may minimize muscle loss, but in clinical practice, how much we do that at this stage when we don't have big trials to confirm this data is still up for debate. Well, and I really love that answer because I think you've nailed
0: it exactly, that it may not be so influenced by the amount of nitrogen or protein that we're delivering, but by the overall inflammatory and hypermetabolic response that's going on in that patient, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. When it comes then
0: to looking at these functional measures for the patient. Do you have any insight into how that may correlate with some of the commonly measured outcomes like mortality?
1: Yeah, we didn't specifically look at that in this paper to actually look at, well, how much does these surrogate outcomes actually correlate with mortality? But I suppose that, yeah, there isn't clear data to, to for us to understand. For example, muscle mass and mortality, or decline in physical function and mortality. There is some data, uh, observational data out there that may suggest that, uh, but I don't know that it has been proven in in randomised control trials. Uh, but we didn't specifically cover that in this paper.
0: Sure. Um, And and to your point earlier, certainly uh, mortality is not something we want to be using as an assessment indicator. No. How do you propose we use these data moving forward as it relates to new prospective randomized clinical trials?
1: Yeah, I um, I think that's a really important point. And hopefully what comes out of this paper is that we do need a bit more consistency moving forward, in identifying what are the appropriate outcomes to utilise in nutrition trials and making sure that the studies are comparable. So different interventions are using the same outcome measures so that we can compare different nutrition interventions to decide what has a greater impact. So for example, you know, if we were to develop more validated protocols for ultrasound, and that can be used across large range of nutrition interventions, then um, that will become a more useful tool. You know, in terms of physical function or even quality of life or muscle strength, so many tools have been used. And as a nutrition cohort, we really need to come up with some more standardisation around that so that that there is more consistency moving forward. I know there is a bit of work being done in the UK around sort of defining a, a set of outcomes that would be useful in nutrition trials, but I'm not sure where that's up to at this stage, but I think that's what's really needed.
0: I agree. I think that that's really going to help take us forward in a nice way. So thank you very much for your contributions to this area and really helping set the agenda for what investigators should be considering when designing their trials, looking at the impact of nutrition care in the critically ill. We appreciate your work.
1: Great. Thanks very much. And thanks for inviting me to the podcast today. My pleasure. For our listener, please do go to
0: the February 2021 issue of JPEN to read this paper from Dr. Federplace and her colleagues entitled Quantifying Response to Nutrition Therapy During Critical Illness: Implications for Clinical Practice and Research, a Narrative Review.